0: I want to just say thank you to a bunch of people. You see some of our students leading with us today and so grateful for them taking the time to do that. And I want to just say, I guess, a big thank you uh, to Patton and Presley. They've been working really hard to make things special for our student ministry in a time that is really difficult to be able to do that. And to graduates, we want to say to you again how proud we are of you And you know, I know this isn't what you planned and it's not what you expected. And I want to just say something about that before we go any further. On the one hand, I'm really sorry that you're not getting the kind of graduation that you had hoped you would get. I'm sorry that you're not getting a a ceremony, maybe, that you would have hoped to be able to have. But on the other hand, you've learned some lessons that it takes a lot of people a very long time to learn. You know, nothing in your life is predictable. It just isn't. Your circumstances are never in your control. And how you respond to those circumstances is in your control. And that's really the only thing that you can control. You can approach every one of these trials that you face in your life with a certainty that Jesus Christ loves you and with faith and hope and joy in the midst of all of that. And you can learn what it takes a lot of people a long time to learn is that we have to live our lives with uncertainty, looking to the Lord and just replying what james says to us all the time if the lord wills that's how we live our life if the lord wills we'll do these things and so i'm praying that you'll take that with you and kind of skip a few years ahead of what it takes a lot of people to learn and i know that you're going to do that i know that you're going to be blessed Even in this time of hardship, I want to say thank you for your patience last week to the church. I know that uh, you probably had some live stream issues. We kind of were dealing with those and many of you asked, was it on your end? And it certainly wasn't. It wasn't anything with your connection. It wasn't anything actually on our end. It was a third party service that we were using. It just literally died. Uh, with no explanation, and so I appreciate the media team working hard to do that. And you know, if you took your remote and threw it at the TV while you were waiting for all those things to happen, we accept your apology because we certainly didn't do that. We empathize with you, but we, we certainly didn't do that. We wouldn't have done that. Uh, it was frustrating for everybody, wasn't it? But thank you for your patience in that. Uh, we spent a lot of time this last week working hard to work on our emerging plan for what's going to happen when we're able to come back, and I spent a lot of time with our staff this week working on those things, and we want you to know that that's a work in progress. Spent a lot of time on the phone with our ministry team, uh, Zoom calls with our ministry team, going over this plan and praying about that plan. And you know, somebody asked me this, and if they're asking, maybe you are too. What's the ministry team? What does that mean? That's our accountability team and our governance. We have a ministry team that I'm accountable to as the pastor of the church, and every year that's made up of the chairman of deacons. Chairman Chairman of Finance, Chairman of Personnel. That's Bob Fries is Chairman of Deacons this year. Alan Peninsky is the Chairman of our Finance Committee. Uh, and Philip Lim is the Chairman of our Personnel Team. And I get to appoint a couple of folks, and, and this year that's Joe Roberts and Tim Moore. So we have a, a great group of people working with us on that. They're praying with us about that and, and offering us advice as we go through that. We also spend a lot of time talking to a medical advisory team made up of some doctors here in our church, just talking to them because we want to make sure that we're walking through this in the way that we need to, a way that's prudent and and would be wise for us to do. Remember that we're in a four-phase plan. We're going along with what the mayor has, has outlined for us, and that's the plan that we've adopted. And so the earliest that you'll see us get together will be sometime in June, and it won't look like what we might expect it to look. Even now, we know that that's not going to be What we would expect it to be so we're working through that and we just appreciate your patience and your prayers Keep praying for us during this time Uh, And I want to just say uh, to you about that Uh, You'll hear more about that this week in a thursday update email. I'm not going to do a live thursday Facebook update It's going to be more of a sit-down video that we'll have included in that email So please look for that watch that and be ready for that. That's going to be important For you to keep up with all of those things, but we'll kind of outline what we believe our plan will be going forward, knowing that the target date for that may shift and change depending on how we are doing in the phases. Last thing I want to say today is that one of our global focused mission partners has something for us this week. So you'll hear that at the end of the service. So when we're done, don't, don't leave. We've got a video for you to watch from Lighthouse Christian camp. They're trying to figure out what camp looks like for them and they rely on scholarships. And you know that every year we take care of many scholarships for kids to be able to go to camp who would never be able to pay for that opportunity. So please make sure that you stay around and watch that. Let's pray as we get started this morning. Father, we thank you for technology. We thank you for the ability we have to do this. Father, we recognize that even 10 years ago we couldn't have done it. So when we have a glitch like last week, Lord, we take it in stride. We pray, Father, for our graduating seniors today that you would bless them. Father, that you would allow them to walk in wisdom. I pray that as they take their next step into life, you'd surround them with good mentors, Father, with people who would speak truth into their lives. Father, we pray for this service today that you would speak truth into our lives. We pray for our mission partners like Lighthouse Christian Camp and ask God that you give them wisdom as they walk through these days, as they formulate a plan. And Father, we pray for our plan that you would help us to formulate it in a way that would allow us to gather together again, but also... Be wise for the days in which we're living. We ask these things in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Well, if you have your Bible, I want to go ahead and encourage you to jump into John chapter 11 with me. We're, we're right back in our I Am series looking at those statements. We've seen that Jesus has said, I'm the bread of life. I'm the light of the world. I'm the gate or I'm the door. And, and then he he said that I am the good shepherd. We saw that last week. And, and today we're looking at a, a statement that comes to us in a little bit different way. As I mentioned last week, he's not going to speak any more of these statements to his enemies. They're only going to be towards his followers. And today's a special statement because he's Speaks it to one person. Can you imagine that? One person getting an I am statement. There are only seven, and Martha gets one of these statements today. And so as we look at John chapter 11, we're going to see Jesus say, I am the resurrection. And the life. Jesus speaks these words in a private, one-off conversation with Martha. Now, Martha was a friend of Jesus, and Martha, in John chapter eleven, along with her sister Mary, had sent some messengers to Jesus because their brother Lazarus was sick, and they wanted Jesus to come. They were they were such good friends with Jesus. They were saying to him, "The one you love, Lazarus, he's sick. Could you make it back here?" And, and they lived in a little town outside of Jerusalem called Bethany. It's about two miles from Jerusalem. A short walk, and they're asking Jesus to make his way towards them. But I want us to read what happens when Jesus finds out that Lazarus has died. In verse 17 of John chapter 11, it says this, when Jesus arrived, he found out Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, less than two miles away, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them about their brother. As soon as Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Then Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Yet even now I know that whatever you ask from God, he will give you. Your brother will rise again, Jesus told her. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God who comes into the world. If you started at the beginning of this Chapter, you would have seen that Mary and Martha sent some people to Jesus, as I mentioned, these messengers, so that they could come and and get Jesus to follow them. Now, Jesus had been in their home before; he was friends with these people, and not just friends, he was close friends. You may remember we looked at a passage of scripture that described Jesus being in their home not too long ago. Jesus had showed up at their house, and Martha got busy preparing a meal for Jesus and the people in the home to eat, and Mary was hanging out at the feet of Jesus she's sitting there listening to Jesus talk do you remember that Martha came and said Lord would you please tell my sister to get up and stop wasting her time to help me right here I need some help and Jesus said to her this amazing statement Martha you're troubled about a lot of things but Mary has chosen the one thing and it's the good thing it's the necessary thing I don't know about you but I needed that reminder again this week that we can be busy doing a lot of things, but there's one necessary thing. So that's kind of the background of who this family was. Jesus loved this family. He was really close to this family, and now they've sent for him, and every time I read what Jesus did in John chapter 11, as he responded to this family, every time I read about that, I'm surprised, because Jesus didn't do anything that we might expect him to do. Messengers come, hey, this family that you love, your friend, Lazarus, he's sick, and what does Jesus do? we expect him to to take off he doesn't he waits a couple of more days well we might expect Jesus to do what he had done in the past we might expect him to speak a word of healing Jesus had done that the other gospels record that Jesus had one time spoken a word of healing for someone he didn't have to be physically present for Lazarus to be healed he doesn't do that then when Jesus arrives this strange things happen that, that we might expect him to do and, and, and he doesn't do it. We might expect Jesus to be you know kind of sad and, 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 and just mourn with people, but Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. I gotta tell you, I've done a lot of funerals and I've never seen someone come back from the dead. That's unexpected, isn't it? At every turn, it's unexpected. Well, why does Jesus do all of these things? It's because Jesus was trying to teach them something. Jesus was using a difficult situation to change what they knew about him and he was doing it so that they could understand who he was at a deeper meaning and that he could give glory to God all at once. So I want us to to see this because when Jesus goes out or he's coming into the city, I should say, Martha goes out to meet him and she begins to speak to him and she does it with great boldness. You notice what she said in verse 21. If you had been here, my brother wouldn't be dead. On the one hand, I detect Martha saying that with faith, don't you? Kind of like, I believe that if you had been here, you could have spoken a word over my brother, and this outcome wouldn't have been what it is now. He wouldn't be dead. I know that you could do it. And yet on the other hand, I I kind of detect a a little bit of doubt in Martha, don't you? I mean, it's kind of like, why didn't you do it? What's going on? I don't understand your plan. I don't understand what's going on. Look at verse 23, what Jesus says. Your brother will rise again. He doesn't even address her point. He just says, your brother will rise again. And Martha says, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Martha knew something about the resurrection. And and it may be funny for us to believe this, or or to I I guess it wouldn't be funny for us to believe it. It's funny for us to grasp this. But the Jews believed there was a bodily resurrection from the dead. They were taught that. So Martha had been taught that. It's not that she needed Jesus to tell her about that. That's what she's saying: is, "Well, I already know that on the resurrection day He will be raised." She believed that. Jews believed that. There was only a small group of them that didn't, and those were the people that were called the Sadducees. They they didn't believe in the resurrection. You've heard me say this. It's cheesy, but it's an easy way for you to st- distinguish between Pharisees and Sadducees. The Sadducees were sad, you see, because they didn't believe in the resurrection. That that's that's what made them sad. It's a cheesy way to remember it but it will help you remember it, I promise you. They didn't believe that there was going to be a bodily resurrection. You may remember that they came and challenged Jesus on that. Hey, there was a guy, he was married, uh, he dies and then he has a brother and he dies after he marries this lady. And they go through this thing and they say, well, who's the wife going to be married to in the resurrection trying to trick him? And Jesus says, you don't understand anything about the resurrection. Because in that day, there's not going to be marriage. We're not gonna give in marriage and take in marriage. It's gonna be different than how you understand it. Well, Martha understood there was a resurrection. She believed it. She knew that he would rise, her brother, in the last day. But I think Martha did what we often do. One pastor spoke about this that I read this week. He, he talked about how a lot of times we see these things as far off. They're way out in front of us. We don't see how they have much bearing on the here and now. And we may believe a lot of the promises of God are, are true enough for other people, We may believe that that other people can appropriate the promises of God or or this person that I knew, that God would do that in their lives, but we don't see how they appropriate in our lives. We don't want to do that. We don't want to look at these I am statements and say, those are good for other people. Those are good for someone else. They have to be good for us. What does it mean for us? I am the resurrection and the life. Listen how Jesus responded to her statement about the resurrection in verse twenty-five. Jesus said to her, "I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe?" This, As I look at that verse, there are a couple of things that come out, two really important pieces of information. First, if a person has already died, but they put their faith and hope in Jesus Christ for salvation, the scripture says they will live again. You see that there in verse 25. The second thing that you see in verse 25, is that everyone who lives now and places their faith in Christ will never die. Well, what could he possibly mean? Because Lazarus is already dead. So how could it be that Lazarus will never die? Jesus was speaking to something that's really important. See, the first death that we endure, as awful as it is, and Lazarus had endured that, It's not the only death that we're meant to fear. There's a second death for those who are not in Christ Jesus. I was just reading something this week in in my Bible study, and it's a terrible thought. When you think about the angels, do you think about them like I often do? I think about how angels watch over children, how we have guardian angels, how they, they minister to God in heaven. But you know, the Gospel of Matthew records on a couple of different occasions that the angels are going to be sent out in the last days, and they're going to gather people who have done evil, and they're going to place those people in what the scripture says, the fiery furnace where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's a terrible thought, isn't it? That's the second death that we're meant to fear. And Jesus is saying, for those who are in Christ, we have no fear of that death. There's nothing that we have to fear because of that death. He's telling us that the worst thing that could possibly happen to us will not happen in our lives if we understand the resurrection. And for believers, that's an incredible comfort. Now, just so that the church wouldn't be confused about that, as the early church was getting started, the Apostle Paul wrote about the second coming of Christ and the resurrection from the dead. And I want us to be crystal clear about this. Let's read what he wrote in the book of Thessalonians, chapter 4 verse 13 We don't want you to be uninformed brothers and sisters concerning those who are asleep so that you won't grieve like the rest of those who have no hope for if we believe that Jesus Christ died and rose again in the same way through Jesus God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep for we say this to you by a word from the Lord we who are still alive at the Lord's coming will certainly not pre- precede those who have fallen asleep, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and with the archangel's voice, and the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are still alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord, therefore encourage one another with these words. When Christ comes back, Those of us who are still alive will not perceive those who have died in death. They will be ahead of us. We will be gathered up with them to enter our rest into heaven. Now, if you understand that and you see it, that's the resurrection that Jesus is talking about. He's made a way for us that even though we die, we will yet live. And those of us who come to faith in Christ, we will never face the second death. That's salvation. And that's the very personal question that he asked Martha. Do you believe this? That's a personal question you have to answer. Martha answered it by saying, I believe you're the Messiah, the Christ, the one who is to come. You have to answer it. No one can answer that question for you. I've answered that question for myself. I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, the one who is And is to come. I believe that he is God's son. I believe he's the savior of the world. Come to take away the sins of the world. I believe that he died on a cross in my place. I believe that he suffered for my sins. That he bore my shame as we were just singing about. I believe all of those things. Believing that the grave couldn't hold him. That he was raised on the third day. And that he sits at the right hand of the father in heaven. Waiting for God to tell him to come back and get his church. I believe it. But that won't help you. You have to believe it. It doesn't help you. Your family believing it, your wife believing it, your child believing it doesn't help you. It's a personal question that each of us must answer. And if you've never answered that question, I'm praying today that you would answer that question by placing your faith and hope in the living Lord Jesus Christ because he is our hope. That's what he was saying. I am the resurrection and the life. You know, I guess it occurred to me this week as we were getting ready for our staff meeting, reading and studying and thinking about how this passage might have a broader meaning for us beyond just the reassurance of the resurrection. And I've got to be honest, that's a fantastic assurance for us. And if that's all it gave us, that's enough. That's plenty. That's all we would need. But I think it actually speaks to what we're living in today. You see, Martha and Mary and Lazarus had just gone through... A terrible, terrible ordeal. It was really a crisis of faith for them. Martha and Mary had lost someone that they had loved dearly. Lazarus had gone through the suffering of his body. When the the scripture says that he was weak, it, it says that his I mean that he was sick. It says that his body was getting weak. He was in weakness. So you know that he was watching the decline of his body as he was suffering, and as he was going through that, you know that he was thinking, "Man, this is this is a terrible thing to be going through." And they're watching someone that they love suffer. And as they went through it, they had a crisis of faith. Why would God allow them to go through that? Why did they have to endure that? Why would they have to go through something so difficult and so painful? But John recorded something just a few verses before we started reading this morning in verse 17. If you look back at verse 14, listen to what Jesus said as he talked to his disciples. Jesus then told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And I'm glad for you that I wasn't there so that you may believe, but let's go to him. What a funny thing for Jesus to say. I'm glad that we weren't there. I'm glad that we weren't there. I'm glad for your sake that we weren't there because you're going to believe something about me. You're going to see something through the crisis of faith that they're entering into, this family that you know that I love. You're going to see something that you wouldn't have seen and it's going to glorify God. Years ago, a man named Dr. Henry Blackaby wrote what is one of the best books a Christian could ever read outside of the scriptures. It ought to be on your required list of reading if you've never gone through the book study, experiencing God, knowing and doing the will of God. In that book, Dr. Blackaby talked about how God never wastes a crisis in our lives. He doesn't do it. God will never waste a crisis in your life. He uses a crisis in our lives so that we will act in faith and we can discover something about God that we might not have known. Every time we go through a crisis, we can act in faith and we either discover or we rediscover something about God that we previously had forgotten or we didn't know And as I thought about that, that's exactly what happened with this family. They were in a crisis that had rocked their world. They were unstable. They felt like they couldn't control the situation. They were reeling from the pain, weren't they? I mean, that that, that would have been our experience too. But I believe that a lot of us are in the same boat this morning because of the pandemic. As we deal with things that are outside of our control, there are circumstances that are outside of our control this morning. For instance, you might be a graduate, right, who is reeling from not being able to go through the normal rites of graduation. You might be wondering what the fall holds for you as we're hearing about certain colleges saying we're just not even having college. What does that mean for a freshman? These are circumstances beyond your control. Some of you have had to endure economic hardship during this time. You've been scrambling just to make ends meet over the past Few weeks. Some of you have been separated from a loved one because you've not been able to care for them because you've been excluded from a facility where they've been living in. Uh, some of you have experienced the pain of loss because you've seen a loved one die. These circumstances are a crisis. And yet Jesus says to us, I am the resurrection and The life. Martha's faith allowed her to declare Jesus was the Messiah. She believed that and that He was the Savior of the world, and it allowed her in faith to see that God was moving and God was going to receive glory. Now, I want you to think about it. There are only seven I am statements that Jesus gives, and He gives this one to this one lady I am the resurrection and the life. And He's the same for us today. He's the resurrection and the life for us today. That even if we die, we will live with him, but he's also this life. Do you remember a few weeks ago, we talked about that Jesus said that I've come that you may have life and have it abundantly, overflowing, beyond measure that you could have that. I believe that we can have that even as we're living now. Because he is the resurrection and the life for us, it changes present circumstances. It's not a promise just for the far off where we can hope for it one day and and hope that it works out in our life. These things are true in our lives now. He's the resurrection and the life. And we can live in faith and respond to that and discover how God wants us to live and respond in these circumstances in which we're living. He is the resurrection and the life. It means now, in the future. It means in a pandemic. It means on the darkest days of our lives. Our living hope is Jesus Christ. That allows us to live in faith. That allows us to confront these challenges as families, as individuals, as a church in faith. Church, we need to just focus our eyes this week on Jesus and discover who he is. That maybe in the midst of this crisis, whatever it is for you and however it's affecting you, that God would be saying, hey... I'm trying to teach you something about me. Don't miss it. Don't miss who I am. Lift up your eyes and see today that I am the resurrection and the life, your living hope. If you've never given your life to Christ, you need to do that today. Don't wait. Come to Jesus. Walk through the doorway of salvation to heaven through Jesus Christ. For those of us who are in Christ, we've answered the question personally that we believe he is the Christ, son of the living God. Let's act in faith this week. Let's live in faith placed securely in the son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. He's the resurrection and the life. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you today that in the midst of our our times that we're living in, the midst of a pandemic, you would say to us today, you are the resurrection and the life. We want to declare our faith and we ask you, Lord, to help us act in faith. We ask you, God, to let us rediscover who you are this morning. We ask you to allow us to discover something about you Father, let us see with deeper meaning that you are the resurrection and the life. We thank you that when our time comes, Lord, even though we die, we will live. And Father, that one day you're gonna call us home and we're going to be caught up in the clouds with those who have gone before us. Father, we pray for the one today who doesn't know you. And we ask, God, that they would answer the question It's the essential question today, who am I? Martha got it right. Lord, we ask by the power of the Holy Spirit that others watching this stream today would give their life to you. Lord Jesus, we ask you to establish our church in faith and hope. As our living hope, you are guiding us. Lead us, Lord we will follow. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Don't forget Thursday to look for our update email. And don't forget to hang around for just a minute. We're going to watch that Lighthouse video together. Make sure you're praying for them during this time. They've got a lot on their plate too. And you be generous to give. Give a scholarship if you can. Help keep them going. God bless you. I can't wait to be back with you very soon.